0: The pets have gone wild. What were you thinking? Welcome to the show about everything you always wanted to know about exotic pets where to get them, what to feed them, and how to care for them. You'll even find out why some people live with a monkey. Now, here's your host, exotic pet expert and author Bob
1: Tart. Hey, Bob, what were you thinking? Hey, Brian. Brian, it's Bob, Bob Tart. Bob, I haven't heard from you in months. I think it's been since last December when I sent you a birthday present. Yeah, 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 never mind that. Now listen, I'm only calling now because I need a favor. Uh, I'm doing a weekly internet radio show for PetLifeRadio.com about exotic pets. Don't even ask. And I keep asking listeners to email me because I want them to be on as guests. But, you know, no one emails me. I don't have any guests. Well, have you posted any of the shows yet? Well, what does that have to do with it? I've done the shows, they're on my computer, that ought to be good enough. Okay, listen, here's the skinny. I'm going to call you back and interview you about your volunteer work at the zoo. But listen, do me a favor, don't let on that we've known each other since kindergarten. I don't want to make it look like I'm so desperate that I can only get my friends to appear on the show. Okay?
2: Uh, by the way, did you like that uh, birthday
1: present? Oh, I don't know, I I think I threw the box away without even opening it. So, okay, you going to do the show or not? Sure. Okay, okay, I'll call you back. Okay. Hi, I'm Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks and Follow Weather, and host of What Were You Thinking?, a show about exotic pets. Now, not everybody wants a monkey swinging around their house and smoking their cigars. And although it surprises me, most people don't even want a parrot chewing up their woodwork. Uh, now, I'm on the phone with Mr. Brian O'Malley. Uh, am I pronouncing your name correctly, Mr. O'Malley? Uh, that's right, Mr. Tard. Yes, you are. Okay, now, Mr. Brian O'Malley, he lives in uh, Virginia City, I, I think, or... Arlington, Virginia. Mr. O'Malley lives in Arlington, Virginia, and um, he doesn't have a pet of his own in the little cardboard hovel in which he lives, but he does love animals. In fact, Brian loves animals more than any person I've ever, well, I I have never met Mr. O'Malley, but he satisfies his craving for exotic critters by volunteering at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., now, Brian works with monkeys, macaws, and other animals that start with M at the Amazonia exhibit. So, uh, Mr. O'Malley, how did this happen?
2: Well, it, uh, it goes back uh, probably about 10 years when uh, my son was born, and uh, every day off, I'd take him to the zoo. And over the years, it became a favorite activity, and then my daughter was born a couple of years later. It was something we always enjoyed, and during bad weather, Amazonia is the perfect exhibit to go to because it's indoors. They just had a circular there saying, volunteers need it. I called them. They said, well, can you come by and talk? And I uh, went and talked to the volunteer coordinator, and uh, his first question was, well, when can you start? It was a pretty thorough thing. And I said, Well, I don't really know anything about exotic animals or really animals at all. I like them, but they uh, said, Well, we'll teach you everything you need to know. And they've done a wonderful job.
1: Have you had pets of your own? A cat. I've had. Now, this isn't a civet cat or a bobcat or a nanny cat or anything. No, it's, it's just a.
2: It's a cat. It's an orange cat named Henry.
1: Okay. But but you were still interested in working at the zoo?
2: Um, Yeah. I think it, it, the whole operation there fascinated me. and um, You know, the Amazonia exhibit's really quite spectacular. Do you want me to give you a few of the little factoids? I do think? it,
1: do it's it. Together yeah. for you? Yep.
2: Um, it's the, the largest, most complicated exhibit at the Smithsonian Institution's natural, uh, National Zoo. Okay. It's 15,000 square feet. It's a dome. Inside, it can accommodate 50-foot trees. And it also has a 55,000-gallon aquarium complex that duplicates the uh, Amazon uh, rivers. Good grief. That's bigger than the one I used to have. Uh, yeah, that one, that 100-gallon uh, oh, tank. Oh, sh- shh, 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 Anyway, the 55,000-gallon uh, tanks are spread out over four uh, different types of systems. So there's the very large, sort of pelagic river fish, then there's uh, smaller ones, then there's a... Much smaller one uh, for piranha, and then there's uh, something called the flooded forest where they have arowana
1: and stingrays. Cool. Now, what do you work with the fish, with the fishies?
2: Well, it's, it's a wonderful uh, program they have there. I get to work with all the animals. So I, um, I've uh, fed the fish, I make
1: lunch for the fish, and. Uh, you make them lunch. Yeah. What, what do they eat?
2: Well, different fish eat different things. Uh,
1: are you kind of the emerald Lagasse of the National Zoo?
2: Um, well, actually, there are some volunteers who make very pretty presentations of uh, of things, but I kind of just throw it together.
1: I thought you had a reputation for really good plating of fish food.
2: Uh, <laughs> well, they actually do have a plate they bring out for the docents to show people what... Uh, what the, the different types of food that the fish eat.
1: Now, do you wear a uniform of some kind when you're doing this?
2: Uh, a t-shirt. This is a pretty basic... Uh, pretty basic.
1: Does it say zoo on the National Zoo on the t-shirt? Yes, yeah, it says National Zoo Volunteer. Wow, I want one.
2: Well, uh, you could come down and volunteer and...
1: You know. Oh, that's way too much work.
2: Yeah. It's a, and it is a lot of work. You have to have be able to give a, you know, a good eight hours uh, at least a week to do things, because there's an enormous amount, and the Amazonia exhibit is unique at the
1: National Zoo
2: because it relies very heavily on volunteers.
1: Well, give me a rundown on what kinds of animals we're talking about that, that you, know, you interact with.
2: Well, let's see. We've got eight different species of birds in the rainforest. And, it, and understand, it's, it's a complete rainforest uh, environment. There's 350 species of plants. There's 40 species of fish. Um, there are uh, a pair of teddy monkeys. Um, there's a sloth, and the sloth is—you know—I've worked in at Amazonia for a couple years now, and I've only seen the sloth twice.
1: You've only seen it move, or you've only seen it at all? It, it, it's it kind of up in the remarkably ca- like a shrub. Ah. It, you know, and it
2: stays very high up in the tree canopy. And it's very hard to see.
1: So when you saw it, had it come down for a drink of water or something? No, I had actually climbed
2: up. There's some pretty precarious climbs that we have in Amazonia to put food up where the animals are. So we sort of climb up this ladder, and then there's this kind of pulley thing that they raise up so it's right near the top of the tree canopy to with a couple trays for the sloth, and You know, I've done that for a couple of years, and I noticed the food's gone, but I seldom if ever had seen the sloth. And then one day, I uh, happened to be up there, and I turned around, and I was kind of face-to-face with him. He kind of looked at me and kind of shrugged and kind of moved off.
1: Now, you don't think any of the other zookeepers are maybe climbing up there and um, sampling the sloth food themselves, do you?
2: Um it'd be pretty slim pickin'.
1: oh is it what what did the sloths eat
2: well they well, it's kind of vegetables that yeah, there's uh and and we we kind of cut this the the food because he's got very long claws, and so it sort of fits his grip but um he eats carrots, sweet potatoes they're all you know obviously raw, some lettuce um there are things that we uh, call called monkey biscuits, which are Things that are made for nutrients for monkeys, but the sloths seem to like it too. And uh, bananas, they like bananas.
1: And you work with monkeys too, yeah. as you were speaking of monkey and biscuits. The monkeys, yeah, actually. These are TD monkeys, and oh, could you describe those? What are they? So they're pretty
2: small Amazonian monkeys. Um, <laughs> Needless to say, they're kind of cute.
1: And you're right, you're right in the cage or the pen, or, or... Well,
2: there's no cage for them. The whole, they just roam all over the dome.
1: Well, when people co- come into Amazonia, so are they also roaming in the in the dome?
2: Yes, there's a walkway through the middle. You come up these stairs, and the monkeys will actually kind of watch people. In fact, people, you know, because it's a very authentic jungle environment. It's a little tricky to see the animals, you can't just kind of walk through and expect to see them. You have to take some time and stay still and suddenly you'll start seeing lots of all the animals and Of course, um when I wander through with pans of food for them, yeah uh,
1: you see many, yeah, I bet you do now are how many different kinds of animals are all kind of grouped together? In one area of Amazonia, I mean, would you have the macaws and some of the other birds in with the monkeys and in with the sloth? Well, all in together. There's no separation. So there's no animals that would prey on another animal. In well,
2: there. you have to be careful about that. Sometimes the monkeys will prey on the birds. Oh, they will. Yeah. And sometimes the birds will prey on the frogs or the and the toads.
1: Yeah, I bet the monkeys leave the uh, macaws alone though.
2: Yeah, the macaws are a pretty tough customer. Uh,
1: you you had a pretty good relationship with uh, one of the macaws, didn't yeah.
2: you? Yeah, well, and the macaws is uh, very interesting. Uh, and I mean, you know about parents, Bob. And uh, by the um, way, I've, I've read your books; they're fabulous.
1: Oh, thank you, Mister O'Malley. Your
2: listeners uh, should uh, buy them both, um, and they're just excellent, entertaining reading.
1: Why, Mister O'Malley?
2: Oh, well, Mister Tart, what can I say? <laughs> I I think you're a genius. I have a lot of respect for you. Well, thank you. Uh, Anyway, we were talking about Mac the Macaw.
1: Yeah, is this like a blue and gold, or... Uh, He's blue and red. Okay.
2: And uh, can be pretty grumpy, and uh, we hand-feed him, just like we hand-feed the monkeys, uh, because that enables us to, you know, take a look and see, you know, if they're okay, if they... Or feathers are in good shape, or with the monkeys, you know, if their fur is okay, or if they might have injured themselves in running around right. like that. But
1: you say hand feed. I, you know, I have a couple of parrots and uh, Stan, uh, not Stanley Sue. I, I used, yeah, I used to feed Stanley Sue by hand and uh, Bella also. But uh, Dusty, uh, these are all African greys. I'm talking about. Uh, you know, you got to be kind of careful, and I think I would be hesitant to hand-feed a macaw.
2: Well, I was terrified, actually, and the way they teach you to do this is um, that we have sort of a a tray, and you want to do... Talking about presentation of food, you want to do the stuff so Max sees the stuff that he likes. So he likes fruits and and
0: bananas,
2: but there's other things there that he should eat, and so what you do is you kind of... uh, Hold it out at arm's length, and then he will sort of very delicately reach down and uh, pick up the food. And this is out of a bowl or something. Right. And if he wants to, it's a it's kind of a flat pan. Almost, it's kind of like if you imagined a you know a, a bread pan that was kind of cut off.
1: That uh, is there bread in it?
2: Well, there's monkey biscuits. They kind of like those too. Yeah, we had monkey a pair of that. Yep, uh, seemed to be uh, kind of a popular item. Although the monkeys aren't really, in my experience, too fond of them because they've kind of pitched them at me a couple times. And
1: well, who wouldn't? And so you would call them so-called monkey biscuits?
2: Yeah. Although if you leave the tray there, the monkeys eventually get around to eating it. By the way, is how you cut down on the predation problem because they, you know...
1: You keep them stuffed. The animals enough that they don't
2: feel the need to go hunting.
1: Okay, anyone who just tuned in, and I'm not sure if you can just tune in to a podcast. I mean, you, you got to pretty willingly and deliberately listen to this thing, right? But can you if, go into the middle of them? I don't know, but if anyone, you know, uh, has a short attention span or something, I'd like to remind them that uh, I'm talking to Brian O'Malley, and he's telling me about volunteering for the Amazonia exhibit at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C., You are listening to What Were You Thinking? and we will be right back after this potentially interesting message from I don't know if it's from a sponsor, I don't know if I have any sponsors, but um, it'll be a message and then we'll be right back.
0: What Were You Thinking? We'll be right back after Bob gets the ducks out of his living room. Don't go away. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Okay, ducks are in the pond, rabbits in his hutch, and monkeys... oh In my car! Oh, okay, well, I go check my insurance policy. We'll turn you back over to Bob.
1: Welcome back to What Were You Thinking? I'm Bob Tart, author of the books Enslaved by Ducks and Foul Weather, which I just can't mention enough. And uh, we're talking to Mr. Brian O'Malley, who satisfies his craving for exotic critters by volunteering at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. And, Brian, you were talking about macaws and about uh, feeding the macaw. And uh, on the break, uh, you were telling me something about uh, poison dart frogs. And
2: In fact, I do have one last story about... Uh before we go to the Poison Darn Frog. Tell me. And before even that, let me just say, Bob, I really respect the hell out of those books you read. <laughs> They're funny and touching, and uh, you know, I recommend it for the whole darn family. Well, thank you. Thank uh, you. Getting back to Mac the macay there's kind of an interesting story. Ed, who is one of the senior keepers of the zoo, and uh, a brilliant man, um, apparently ran afoul of... Uh, Mac McCaw a few years ago, and uh, they had bonded very closely. And Ed uh, guides the Smithsonian National Zoo trips down to the Amazon. He's very knowledgeable, but he's got a doctorate in biology and all these types of things. And Mac never forgave him for leaving, and uh, you know, so he was gone I think for two or three weeks, and. I guess it's been 10 or 12 years, and Mac's remained mad at Ed. And Ed always wears a baseball cap. So the one thing you, do, you don't you do want to do when you feed Mac is go up and wear a baseball
1: uh-huh. cap. Aha, because... Uh, the because he thinks you're Ed. Yeah. And, uh, or at least he thinks you're he enough like... the pan out of your hand. <laughs> and
2: so, I I mean, I've sort of progressed with Mac. I can actually feed him out of my hand. He'll take well, that's pretty brave. Well, I sure as hell don't wear that baseball. <laughs> but he's a—he's just a fascinating animal. He's just amazingly smart, and, and when you walk into the forest, because there's a lot of stuff you have to do, we actually have to water the rainforest. And when you walk in, you always hear this kind of "hello," and if he likes the food you've given him, he'll say "apple" for you.
1: Oh. This is a pretty interesting. That's very good. But yeah, birds are very smart. Yes, we've got
2: ten different species of uh, frogs and toads in the Amazonia.
1: Now you probably know those frogs are getting popular as pets. Right. So, to, so tell me a little bit about them.
2: Well, poison dart frogs are so vividly colored because it's a sign to predators that they are incredibly toxic. The the beautiful blue ones, uh, I think, are called Dendrobates tinctorius. And uh, in the wild, they have enough poison in them to kill ten people. Now, it's interesting because they don't produce poisons like a snake. They eat bugs that eat poisonous plants. And the biological process is called sequestration. And somehow, that plant toxin that goes into the bugs is somehow separated out by the frog digestive system and turns into a toxin on its skin.
1: Okay, so what do they eat? At, I guess my question is, so are they not so poisonous well, at the zoo? are not poisonous at all in Amazonia. Oh, they are. We don't feed them bugs that eat poisonous plants. And do they still maintain that vivid color? The, the yeah. diet has nothing to do with that? The diet has nothing to do with the color. Okay.
2: And that's actually probably the biggest part of my job at Amazon is taking care of the crickets that we raise there uh, to feed the frogs and the birds and the toads, The monkeys even eat
1: crickets. And what do you do with the crickets? How do you take care of them?
2: Well, we have two uh, great big 100-gallon, 150-gallon aquariums, and we have a cricket hatchery. Um, the zoo buys a certain number a week and then we have it set up so the crickets will lay eggs and then we raise um, small crickets, which are called pinheads and quarter inches, And that's the food stock for the whole food chain. The fish love these things and and as do all the other animals. And it... uh, I'll tell you, you know, you don't really think about, I mean, most of the time you only see one cricket at a time, and these uh, aquariums that we have are kind of like one of those fear factor types of things. Now, I'd never actually, before this, had handled any bugs or had done anything with any insects of any sort, and um, I was kind of surprised it didn't really spook me more than it did.
1: Are you, what, are you sort of dipping your hand in or dipping something in? You have to clean the things every day, and
2: you'd be surprised how much poop is generated.
1: Really? Cricket poop?
2: By crickets. No kidding. It's like concrete. You literally have to take razor blades and scrape off the bottom of the aquarium.
1: Oh, see, we've kept a few crickets when uh, we raised starlings. Not too exotic. But um, we never had that many that that was an issue.
2: Yeah, it, uh, I mean, we we figure the amount of crickets that we raise saves the zoo about $50,000 a year. It's a fairly complicated type of thing. And in fact, uh, that's one of the main things the volunteers have to learn. That's kind of the first thing, doing this. And in fact, I've actually even made, like, a training video um, because it actually has kind of a monster movie charm to it. We have, you know, an egg carton things, that, that's kind of what you use is the strata to raise them on. And, um, you know, there's
1: fifty, sixty
2: thousand 60,000
1: of these. Oh, my. The so this isn't really a glamorous job all the way around that you're doing. Well, they keep
2: it in the back room. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Now, the, the frogs, uh, the last thing about the frogs, I guess, is um, I'm trying to think at an exhibit like this. The frogs are so tiny they'd be hard to see. Is there a special enclosure or something for right.
2: them? We have a thing that's called... Uh, Dr. Brazil's lab, where we have aquariums, and you can actually
1: see uh,
2: dark frogs up close. They are up in the forest, but I've only ever seen them a couple times. Oh, and in fact, um, there's a stairway that goes from the aquarium area, and the aquariums adjoin the rainforest too. It's a two-level exhibit: uh, the lower level. Aquarium, see them laterally, but then you can walk up to the rainforest and look down into the aquarium too. Uh, on the stairs that go up there, there's sort of a, an area that that apparently there's all kinds of frogs in there too. You know, it looks like it's kind of a little garden area, but there's lots of little frogs in there. And the only way you can tell is you can hear them, but I, I've only ever seen one.
1: But tell me your tiger story. Is it a tiger or a jaguar or? Oh, that's uh ha. um
2: they like to familiarize you with all the other activities at the zoo too. They have a very nice training program. And um so they took us over to the lion and tiger exhibit at uh at the National Zoo and uh you know, they have a very active breeding program and we were right back there where they feed the animals and there was a juvenile tiger um he was born at the zoo, and he was about to, within a month of moving to another zoo, because a juvenile tiger weighs about five
1: or six hundred pounds. Oh, good grief! So, how, how old would you say this thing was?
2: Oh, he was maybe a year and a half, two years
1: old. Oh, okay, that's that's a big guy, all right.
2: Right, because they grow fast, and you know, and and uh, this, uh, you know, I, just like my cat Henry, how cats kind of like to hunker down. He kind of hunkered down. And the keeper was talking about all the stuff. They to do. And while she was talking, suddenly this this cat leapt at the enclosure, and the claws were going through the cage, and the fangs were out. It was roaring. It was so fast it wasn't scary. I mean, it was literally in the blink of an eye. This um, cat had gone from what looked like it was dozing. Full attack mode. Now the keeper didn't even bat an eye at all. I mean, just does have to get my uh, attention. And uh, man, it was just
1: frightening. I've been I've been surprised by wild animals, you know, native animals here that do that. I'm just thinking of raccoons. That uh, a couple times I've trapped raccoons to get them out of our yard in in a live trap so that they they wouldn't eat our ducks. And I take them somewhere else and uh, open the cage, and I expect them just to kind of lumber away. And like in the blink of an eye, you hear a snarl, and they are just gone. Right. So I, I can't even imagine, you know, seeing a tiger do that. And,
2: and talking to the keeper, we had a discussion. You know, there are people in this country, you're talking about exotic pets. There are people in this More people in the United States keep tigers than there are tigers in most of the Eurasian landmass. Land. There's anywhere between five and ten thousand people that are keeping tigers in their home or farm.
1: Good grief! And that's
2: such a crazy idea.
1: Yeah, so the, the, there's like ten thousand tigers in this country. Yeah, I can't even imagine having a tiger as a pet. Oh,
2: I can't either. I I think the problem is people. I I think you know can you can get these things pretty inexpensively as uh, cubs. But like I said, in the course of a year. They'll grow to five or 600 pounds.
1: Now, can you imagine sitting at your word processor or your, your computer, um, you know, typing away and have a tiger hop up on your lap and, and try and be able to do your work? <laughs> that is a nuisance. I don't know what those people are thinking of. Well, it, What were they thinking? Well, I thought my wife
2: had a good line, which was, I said, you know, keeping a tiger like that's more dangerous than just leaving a cocked, loaded gun on your uh, dining room table. And my wife responded, she said, well, maybe those are the same people that keep the tigers because they need that cock-loaded gun.
0: Yeah,
1: I think so.
2: Man, and... Um, They're uh, not good pets. Well, and plus... Like, as the keeper at Amazonia said, that the, the the big cats there said, they like me as much as they like anyone. She said, but I have no doubt where I'd walk in there with them, they'd kill me. Yeah, yeah. And that And she also said that Siegfried and Roy, who they're probably the most knowledgeable people in the world in handling wild animals, and look what happens
1: that's right that's exactly right so what in amazonia we're we're kind of running short on time now, believe it or not um what would you say is the most difficult animal to work with there
2: um probably the seven foot arapaimas. they're, yeah. uh, they're a uh, uh, a great big beautiful fish. They're an air-breathing fish. Um, and they're really smart. And when you feed them, um they um uh, they can shoot water about ten feet. And um that and by the way, this is an example of another thing with an exotic fish. When Amazonia opened fifteen years ago, these things started off as six inch long fish, they're now
1: Seven feet long. So you don't want one in your aquarium. Yeah,
2: they're they out. They, you know, they just bought a couple new Era pimas, and they outgrew what's called a Titan tank,
1: which is I think a three hundred gallon tank. So not a good a bath. Not a good bathtub fish either.
2: Yeah, they're not a good. Well, if you, you'd have to have a really big bathtub, Bob.
1: Yeah. Well, I do. Uh, <laughs> and you wouldn't be able to use it for baths anymore.
2: But um, it's not that they're a particularly mean fish, but they. They don't really brook any nonsense, and they're sort of the top predator there. So feeding them is a very complicated process, so you have to feed them at one end, and then you go to the other end of the big pool and put, essentially, this. we have these kind of very long uh, plastic PCV pipes down at the bottom to feed the fish below there So, they, you know, the don't vacuum up everything so that the fish on the bottom can get some of the goodies, too. And uh, the arapaima don't really like that. And so you'll be standing there putting the stuff down there, and these things will hit this tube. I mean, it's enough to knock you over, and you're sort of standing on the edge of this pool anyway. You don't really want to fall in.
1: (laughs) No. Now you want you wanted to mention that there's a webcam at this at the right. uh, amazonia so what the uh,
2: the national zoo has a website and it's obviously you know, national zoo, one word dot s i at smithsonian institution dot edu and then you just on the site just it says where amazonia is and they have a webcam and you can see the fish the arapaimas near the is swimming around and, It's uh, quite spectacular there.
1: Well, very cool. Well, thank you so much, Brian. We've been talking to Brian O'Malley, who lives in Arlington, Virginia, and volunteers at the Amazonia exhibit at the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. And I guess your message for people, perhaps, is volunteer at your local zoo.
2: As opposed to buying exotic fish or, or creatures and getting them out of the wild.
1: That's exactly right. All right. Well, thanks, Brian.
2: Well, it's my pleasure, Bob. You're a great author. Oh, thank you. That was great, Brian. Thank you so
0: much for doing that interview. You just make everything sound so exciting. Gosh, uh, you're going to make everybody want to be a volunteer at a zoo. Gosh, maybe I should be a volunteer.
1: What do you think, sweetie? A volunteer at the zoo? Yeah. Um, I think you are already a volunteer at the zoo at the Tart Zoo. Oh yeah. I didn't yeah. Think we about that. we, uh, we have, have to remind our listeners we have about forty animals here, mostly birds. Yeah. And I think I'm going to get Brian back on the phone and get him over here to do he some. He can volunteer. do volunteer here. That's exactly right. Speaking of volunteer. We would like our listeners to volunteer to be our guests on the show. So just, uh, if you have an exotic pet of some kind, a turtle, a tarantula, snake, a snake, a cockatoo, cockatiel, whatever. whatever you have. Tell us about it. Yeah, we want to hear about it. So just send us an email at bob at PetLifeRadio.com. And who knows, you might be the next guest on What Were You Thinking?
0: We can't wait.
1: So, uh, thanks to everybody. Thanks to our listeners. Thanks Thank to, you, Brian. Thanks to our very mysterious producers that no man or woman has ever seen. And uh, I want to say goodbye to everybody. Bye bye. Thinking about buying a monkey? How
0: about a ferret or a skunk? Then check out the show that will answer the burning questions where do you get them? What do you feed them? How do you take care of them? And most of all, what were you thinking? With exotic pet expert and author Bob Tart every week on demand from PetLifeRadio.com.